definitive passages in the Bible. Um, there's a couple passages that kind of shape all of human history. Uh, promises that God gives to his people. Uh, covenants that he makes with his people that, that last for, for all eternity. And today we're looking at one of those passages. We're looking at 2 Samuel 7. And this is... Uh, this is the passage that shapes the, the history of Israel, the national identity of, of Israel and the people of God. This is one of the, the foundations of the Messiah and his coming. Uh, this, is a, this is a huge passage in the redemptive history of, of the world. Now, uh, because of that, we're going to look at, at uh, how this passage points to Jesus in a different way. So far, we've kind of focused on, okay, David David is a picture of Jesus, and so we see Jesus, and we see, uh, we see David, and they, they kind of come together. But in this passage, it's going to look a little bit different, because this is a promise that's instead going to be fulfilled in Jesus. It's pointing forward and looking forward uh, to Jesus Christ. Now, uh, as most of you know, I'm not a history guy. I don't like history. I think it's boring. It has nothing to do with me. Uh, but uh, I'll tolerate history that is about me, right? Because we're all so selfish, and we like, like our, ourselves a little bit. Uh, we're invested in our own lives. So uh, this isn't just history for the sake of history. This is history for the sake of promises that come to us and fulfillment that is fulfilled uh, for us, that God is making promises to David that are, that are ultimately given to us. And so there's this, uh, this kind of deeper purpose and meaning I want us to get the, the who cares of all of this that we might be able to rejoice. So we're going to look at uh, three, three things today. We're going to look at first uh, the promise that God makes. We're going to look at how that promise is fulfilled and then why we should care. Why we should care. That's always an important one. So uh, let's pray and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you that you are a God who comes to your people in an abundance of grace and doesn't stand outside of us, even promises um, to do things for all eternity. And you make promises that last forever. And Father, we're astounded that you, the, uh, the eternal, true, and, and omnipotent God would link yourself to your people and to promises that would bind you. And Father, you are so faithful, and we are astounded in the ways that you keep your promises. And so, Father, we ask that we'd be a people of great faith in the promises that you have, that we would look for their fulfillment as you would ask us to, to look for that fulfillment. And Father, that, that we would know that the things that you promise are true. Father, would you give us uh, all of that so that we may worship Jesus more fully? We pray in his name. Amen. All right, so, uh, so last week we just we saw that David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the presence of God, into Jerusalem, his city. And we pick up there. David has just brought in uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. He is settled in his royal palace, and he, he has this sort of revelation. Second uh, Samuel 7, verse 1. Now when the king lived in the house, in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, 
I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of, the, of our God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. All right, so this is actually uh, kind of a surprising thing that doesn't happen that much. Uh, David actually stops and considers like himself and, and his relationship to God, and he realizes these things just don't really stack up. Why is he, why is he in this palace made of cedar, and, and God is living outside in a tent? And he reflects on this, and he decides, you know, I, it shouldn't be that way. If, if I have this, this honor, then it, God should get far more than I get. And he decides, you know, I'm going to build a house for him. I'm going to build a temple, a permanent place where God's people can come, where, where the king can lead the people in worship, when the priests can come and make sacrifices, that this wouldn't be just this wandering people or a God that's an afterthought, but that he would be permanent and he would be in the city of Jerusalem. All right, so he gets the, the initial blessing from Nathan. Go, go do whatever your heart's desire is. But then God comes and speaks through Nathan. God wants to, to speak into uh, this plan. And through Nathan, uh, God says this, verse 4. That same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of, of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, why did you not build me a house of cedar? All right. So uh, I can't help but imagine, like, this is the conversation of, like, the grandma or the, like, 60-year-old parents talking to their adult children. And what are the, the adult children are trying to, like, hey, let's, can we get you an iPhone or, like, a robotic vacuum? <laughs> or, like, hey, there's this thing called, like, an, an echo. I think it'd really make your life great. <laughs> and what does grandma say? Like, that's too much. I, I've, I've been living for 60 years without that thing. I'm, I'm fine. I never asked for that. Uh, that's kind of how God is, is reacting to this. Like, I, ne I never asked for a, a temple. I've been fine. I've been traveling with my people. I never asked for this. All right. And then, uh, what does he do? He, just, he's, he reminds the people, like, he reminds David, like, by the way, I'm, I'm the gift giver in this relationship. I'm the one who gives things. I'm the one who, you know, and grandma always does this too. Where you, like, try to give her a present, and she just, like, blows you out of the water. All right, that's what God does. No, like, I'm, I'm the gracious one in all of this. And yeah, you want to build me a temple. Uh, well, here's, here's my reaction. First, he reminds David uh, where he stands uh, because of the Lord, verse 8. Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. All right, so just a reminder that the only reason you can even consider building me a temple is because I, I plucked you out from the very bottom and lifted you up to the highest position in all of Israel. That the only reason you have an ability to do this is because you're king, and I made you king. 
And then he says, and by the way, all those battles that you won, all of the victories you have, the only reason you have any peace to sit and think about making a temple is because I have fought for you every single step of the way. All right, this isn't, I don't think this is to, to shame David. It's just to, to remind him that, that he is the, the God of grace. And he's the one who pours out gifts and lavishes grace upon his people. And it's a reminder to us, just every time, this is, a, this is totally a side note, this is not the, the main point of the passage, but like every time we think, okay, well, I'm going to do something great for God, uh, he has done a hundred million greater things for us that would even put us in a position to consider doing something great for God. Just so we know that like, we're always going to be the child in this relationship. And that we are always going to have a father who is lavishing gifts upon us. My hope is that you, you know God in that light. That you know him and, and rejoice in him. The fact that, that that is our relationship with him. All right, then, then God takes it, takes it further. He says, you know, those are the things I have done. Here's the things that I'm going to do. Uh, just, to, just to make sure you know that I am the God of grace. Once again, verse 9. I will make you a great make for you a great name, like a name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all of your enemies. All right. Now, we have a couple things here. We have a, a name, a place, and peace. The three gifts that God is going to give David and this nation. Um, now, as we think about those things, they might not sound exciting to us, but they are especially exciting to, to an ancient people, to this people, to, to David and to the nation of Israel. All right, a name. In, a, in an honor-shame culture, the name is, is crucial. To make a name for yourself is this call to, to glorify yourself, to, to prove that you are worthy of, of whatever you've been called to in this life. And what does God say? God says, you know, you, you're not going to have to fight for a name. I'm going to give you a name that is worthy. I'm going to give you a life that is, is meaningful and purposeful and remembered. Importance. And this sense that, like, you have an identity and you've, you've done well in the eyes of the people, in the eyes of God. And he's going to gift that to David to make him one of the great ones of the earth. All right, that's a big deal. And I think if we can like, really dig into our hearts, we realize, like, oh, that, that is, a, that is a, a great gift. But then he goes on and, and talks about uh, the place, a place for his people that will not be taken from them. Now, this is a big deal for people who have been wandering in the desert who, because they were enslaved in Egypt, they had no place. They had no place. They had no land. And every, every inch of land that they had, they had had to fight for and had to defend and had to receive as a promise from God. And now God is saying, you know what? You're going you're gonna to have that place, and you're going you're gonna to have a home. You're going to be established. So you may know where you belong in the world. And then he has one more 
you will have peace. You'll have peace. Now that's a big deal for a king that has had to, to fight and fight and fight. And for a nation that had to go into Canaan and, and trust God to give them victory after victory in order that they might even survive. And now he's promising them peace from all their enemies. This is a beautiful kind of special tailored gift to David and to the people of Israel. Now, that enough is, is a, a really big deal, but then God goes, this is the, the moreover. Moreover, this is the biggest promise. Moreover, verse 11, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before, uh, forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. All right. This, this part of it is the part that makes this one of the great, great passages in all of human history. Because this is not a temporary promise. This is a forever promise that will last for eternity, that will be everlasting. That there will be a, a king ruling from the house of David for all eternity. And that's where there's this, this, uh, this one-upping that David says, you know, I, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a temple. And he says, you know what? I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you the house of David, a, a dynasty, a kingdom that will last forever and ever and ever. And your offspring will do these amazing things, and I will regard your offspring as, as a son and, and never tear them away. All right. This is the lavish grace of a God of grace. A gracious God full of grace. Grace is upon grace. Like, there is no way that David earned this. He's, he has a, he's a man after God's own heart, yes. But this is, this is the, the blessing of a God who, who pours out his grace upon his people. And my hope is that in, in this aspect, we might realize, okay, this is the nature of our God, and this is the nature of, of our God now, too. This isn't, doesn't seem like a foreign God where, wow, he's, he's doing all these great things. No, this is the God as we know him through Jesus. That he's a God who, who pours out blessings like this, who, who lavishly gives to his people. All right. Now, the, the next question then becomes, okay, how is this fulfilled? How does this promise become reality in, in human history as it develops? And that's where uh, a lot of these Old Testament fulfillments, they have, they have like a, a near, temporary, in-the-moment fulfillment. It's kind of a picture of, of, of something greater to come. And so there's this first fulfillment is through Solomon. It's through Solomon, an offspring that would come from David, 
that one of David's sons would become a ruler on the throne of Israel. And some of the things that characterize Solomon's rule are just these things. First, he builds a temple. He builds a house for the Lord that God grants him that, that honor to build the temple. And he's a king of peace. It's his name is actually uh, Solomon, comes from, from Shalom. He's the, the man of peace. And he has a kingdom of peace. And it, brought, it prospers and is part of the golden age of Israel. Now, unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, Solomon desperately needs this promise that in the midst of iniquity, God will not remove him. Because what, is, what does Solomon end up doing? So he's this incredibly wise king, but he doesn't have a good heart. He is not a man after God's own heart, and his heart is led astray by a thousand wives and concubines. Right, a thousand I, I can't even imagine, like, <laughs> what does that even mean? But, uh, and the reality is some of them, some of them are from other nations and follow other gods. And this Solomon, he ends up worshiping idols and the gods of other nations. He's to, he worships and, and establishes altars to, to Ashtoreth, which is this, uh, this fertility god, or to Molech, who is known for child sacrifices, like, these horrible things that he's doing. What did Saul do? Saul like Saul made a sacrifice he wasn't supposed to make, and Saul didn't destroy all of the animals when he was supposed to. And here is here's Solomon doing these devastating things, and yet God doesn't destroy him. Why? For the sake of David. And for the sake of David, Solomon remains king. That this promise stands, even as Solomon uh, runs from the Lord, God is still faithful to his promise. And yes, he disciplines Solomon, and he, but he, he's, he's still there. He establishes them. For the sake of David, they are, they are under this grace of God, and the throne of David continues forever. Now, uh, that's kind of the near fulfillment. And we can always see that that near fulfillment um, is not as shiny and sparkly as we might want it to be. And that's where it creates this, uh, this larger promise of the Messiah, of this one who would come, an offspring that would come, who would have that same heart of David and would give everlasting peace and would give a place that would never be taken from them. That he would be a, a true son and, and receive a name that is worthy. Now that's where we, 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 yes, have this near fulfillment, but we're always looking to Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the offspring of David, that he is the one true king who will reign on the throne forever. Now there's some boring parts in the New Testament, uh, the genealogies, in Luke and in Matthew, they're to make sure you get this. All right, they always go back to David to make sure, hey, this is the offspring of David. That promise that we were talking about 3,000 years ago, it was fulfilled in Jesus. All right, he is the king who sits on the throne forever. That this throne is established, this is David's throne. As Jesus sits in the heavenlies, ruling from on high, that is, that is the Davidic king. 
Now next up, uh, so he has his throne. Next, he's supposed to build a house. He's supposed to build a house. Now what is the house, that, uh, the temple that Jesus is building for God? All right, us. Us. We are the temple. That when, when Jesus rose on high, the first act he did was sending his Holy Spirit that we might be the, the holy dwelling place of God. And together, when we come into the church, we are, we are the temple of God together. All right, this building is just a dumb building that was a convenience store. All right. If you don't know that, like apparently they had good sandwiches. <laughs> some people who, yeah, some, some non-Christians are mad at us for taking the building because they had good sandwiches. Um, but who are we? We are the temple. We are the church. And Jesus Christ is building us. That is his great temple that he is building. All right. Uh, he, is, he is the son. He is the son before the father. He's not just regarded as, as a son. No, he is, he is the one and true son. And yet, what did God do? God put all, of, all iniquity upon him. All iniquity upon him. The stripes of men and the beatings of men and the discipline of men. But he remained a son. And as he rose from the dead, he rose victorious over that iniquity. And because he was a son, he, he was able to be our, our sacrifice. He was able to cleanse his people. That the iniquity didn't stay on him. He didn't stay dead. He didn't stay judged. He rose victorious to become king. And we're said that when he rose, he rose to inherit the name that is above every name that he may be king over all and Lord of lords and king of kings. Now, why do we care about that? Why do you care that Jesus has a, a name that is above every name? Because, like, the name of your king is the, is the glory of the people. That if you have this amazing king, then for us to talk about our king and talk about this one who rules over us, like, we get to do that with with joy and with delight. And the fact that we are called Christians is like such a beautiful identity that as much as the world hates Christians, they actually like Jesus. In a lot of sense, they really do. That he has this, this name that is great. And we, we get to inherit that name and live under that name. And what else is Jesus doing? All right, he's building a place for us, a place for us. First, he made this place, this place for us, the church, that we are a people who, who are away from home. We are people who are away from our nation, but we get to be ambassadors, and we get to come together and, and have a place where we can worship Jesus and do the will of God. And one day, he's going to bring that place, and all of the earth, the new heavens and the new earth will be our home and will be our home forever. And the more alien we feel right here and right now, the, the more we will be at home there. Do you have the, that homesick feeling that you just like, you want it to be different, you want it to be better, you want to belong? Like that is, that is the thing that Jesus Christ is bringing his kingdom. And we have pictures of that, that new heaven, the new earth, that new Jerusalem when it comes down 
that the gates will be open because there are no threats. There are no enemies, that there is perfect peace. Peace be with God because of the cross and peace with, with Satan and evil and sin because all three have been destroyed. That is the great peace that our King is bringing us. And that's where we can talk about this and then we can, we can think, okay, yeah, 3,000 years ago David did this or he got this promise like, this is for us. That we, by being built into Jesus, are now this people of God who have a nation, who have a place, who have peace, who have a name. That's the work of Jesus Christ. All right. Why should you care? Why should you care? All right, that's where, uh, there's this assumption that, well, it's in the Bible, so of course you have to care. I don't want to do that. No, no. Like, and that's where, like, some, some followers like, uh, or readers and lovers of the Bible, they're just nerds, all right? And they like it because they like it, not because it's connected to anything. And I don't want you to just feel like, oh, I, I guess it's in the Bible. I have to care. Uh, no, I want you to care for actual, like, personal reasons. All right, so why, why should you care? Not just about, I, I get that you should care about the Jesus part. But why is it important to not just see the Jesus part, but see the David part? Because I could just talk about the Gospels every single week, and, and you would see Jesus week after week after week. And why, why would it... Why does it help us to see the promise to David and to understand it, to know that it is this like landmark in the, the history of the church? All right, I, I thought of some things. You can probably think of more, but first, uh, it helps you see the, the larger plan and unfolding of, of God's work. And that's where like, we can get caught up in the day-to-day-to-day we can caught up in the, in the political cycles, or the fashion cycles, or the social trends, or uh, our work life, week after week after week, or our family life, and we can get this kind of microscopic view of, of what the world is all about. All right, and then, and then you, you zoom out and you say, 3,000 years ago, God made a promise. 3,000 years ago, God made a promise, and he is going to fulfill it. And there's so much more going on behind the scenes. All right, it makes me think of, like, all my, all my favorite, they're, they're, I like, like, fantasy stuff, where, like, behind the scenes, there's something more, more magical and amazing going on. All right, that there's a Narnia to walk into that's, that's greater. There's a, there's a Hogwarts somewhere out there that there's, like, amazing things happening. And that's where, like, that's the reality that we're shown here. There are larger things going on. There are kingdoms and kings and nations, and we are part of something so much greater than just our day-to-day lives. And that God is doing so much more than just getting us through the day. All right, next. Uh, God's promises are, are bigger and more complicated and more beautiful than we might realize. And that's where 3,000 years ago, they might have thought, oh, look, look, it's, it's Solomon. I guess it, was a, it, it wasn't a great promise. It, it was a nice 50 years or so, but then everything went bad. And we can be that same way about all the other promises. Promises about God uh, blessing us and giving us fullness of joy and providing for us. 
And we get stuck in this like, okay, I want physically this to be manifested right here and now. And that's where, no, it's bigger than that. There's a, there's a spiritual reality that overwhelms this promise and makes it so much greater than we ever imagined. That yes, I will take care of you, and I will take care of you, not, a, not just in the day-to-day life, in the, the physical needs. No, I will give you the, the things that you most need, which is eternal life and forgiveness and mercy. And I'll give you an identity and meaning and purpose. And I'll restore you back to, the, to enjoying uh, the worship of me for all eternity. That yes, there's this physical promise right at the beginning. But there's all of this spiritual. And then the physical is going to totally overwhelm when the new heavens and new earth come. The spiritual and the physical will come together. And these promises will, will blow us out of the water. I don't think David could have thought that what of what this promise really meant. He probably was thinking that his little plot of land would be his plot of land and his his offspring's plot of land for forever. Instead, we have the the cosmos are now ruled by the the king David, Jesus Christ. It's so much better. And so don't just hear the promises and expect like these piddly little promises and, and piddly blessings. There's so much more there if we could see it. Next, uh, the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus. And we, need to, we need, desperately need to see that. First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 1.20, all of the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter amen to God for his glory. Right, if, imagine if, if we missed Jesus, we'd miss so much of this promise. And that's where oftentimes we try to pursue the promises of God independent of Jesus. We say, hey, I want blessing, so give me blessing. And it's like the greatest blessing is the blessing of Jesus Christ, of, of being in his presence, of knowing him, and of being united to him in his death and given eternal life in him. We say, hey, I want, I want the things that I need. And he says, well, yeah, seek them in Jesus Christ. You don't just want a bundle of stuff. You want, you want the person of Jesus and the blessings that come through him, the, the provision that comes through him. Right. If you're not getting to Jesus and the promises of God, you're, you're missing the, the ultimate blessings in them. And finally, finally, God really does keep his promises. He keeps his promises. And for 3,000 years ago, he made a promise. And like, over and over again, you can see God wrestling with the promise. And it's like, hey, I want to destroy you because you're a terrible king, but for the sake of David, I won't do it. That he's constraining himself and committing himself so faithfully to this promise that like, you can feel the tension. And that's where that same thing is true in Jesus. That we are, we are not regarded according to our works, to how good we are or how much we can achieve, to how many temples we can build. How are we regarded? We are regarded in Jesus Christ. And the way he treats us is for Jesus' sake, not for our sake. 
that he made promises that, Jesus, if you went to the throne, I will, I will save those who put their faith in you. And for Jesus' sake, he, he saves us. And he says, I will give the people who believe in you everlasting peace. And it's not for your sake and the sake of your obedience. It's for Jesus' sake that he keeps those promises. And I will give you victory over all of your enemies for whose sake? For Jesus' sake. Keep looking at Jesus. Keep living in Jesus. It is only because of Jesus that any of these things are true. Don't take it upon yourself. For Jesus' sake. Amen? Amen. Amen. Any questions? Yeah, so the question is, uh, when, when this blind beggar calls Jesus son of David, is he connecting to, to this? I would think so, yeah. Because they would understand the, the Messiah to be the son of David. So I think, I think they're connecting that he is messianic, I'd say, in that sense. They might not realize that, that he is the, the eternal God who would rule over all things. But yeah, I would definitely connect those two things. Gift of wisdom, yeah. <coughs> right. Right. Okay, so yeah, so Solomon is given the gift of, of wisdom that he's called the the wisest man. Yeah. Uh what went wrong? <laughs> Women just bypass wisdom altogether and yeah. Uh I I've always I've always thought that Solomon asked for the wrong thing. He should have asked for a good heart not for a good mind. Uh, yeah, you're going to disagree with me in that. But, um, but it, it's his heart that led him astray. The, the, the word says that. And, and the, the thing that made David great was he had a heart after God's own heart. Um, a man, he was a man after God's own heart. And that's where Solomon was wise, but like, he didn't delight in God. He didn't worship in the same way. And that's where his, his heart leads him astray. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't do it perfectly, did he, Greg? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. We'll, we'll get there next week, I, I think. 
um, and talk about that because, yeah, his, his heart fails him in that sense. But how he responds then is, is the great thing. Jack, are you going to disagree with me? <laughs> right. He's a sinner, yeah. Thanks, thanks, Jack. <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah, that's where. Uh, that's where they have been disciplined, and the discipline has gone far greater than we might imagine. Um, but if you cut Jesus out of the picture, then that, that promise is a lie. Uh, if, if Jesus is establishing and giving an everlasting place for his people, then, yeah, it hasn't looked, it's not a, it wasn't a smooth road, but it gets there. Other questions? Horrible questions. Jeez, really. <laughs> Let's pray.